January 27th, midday, the Trump administration releases a statement on Holocaust Remembrance Day that omits any mention of Jews, anti-Semitism, or the six million slaughtered. Around 6.50 p.m., we have some breaking news. Trump signs an executive order banning immigrants from seven countries from entering the United States for 90 days. Notably absent are the countries where Trump has business interests, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. Seconds later, reports start flooding in. Visas are being denied immediately. Chaos begins breaking out at airports. Green card holders are denied return flights that night. January 28th, 10.07 a.m. Mark Doss, lawyer for two detained Iraqi refugees, tells CNN he's been at JFK all night, has not yet been allowed to see his clients. 11.33 a.m., the ACLU sues Trump over the Muslim ban. 11.38 a.m., somewhat unrelated, but still worth a mention, the mayor of Berlin says to Donald Trump, don't build this wall. 11.42 a.m., Iran says it will ban all U.S. citizens from entering the country in response to Trump's executive order. 12 p.m., a small crowd of protesters gather outside JFK Terminal 4. We hear reports of students stuck overseas who can't get back to school, people who traveled overseas for funerals who can't get back, also hearing reports of green card holders being handcuffed, their social media being reviewed, and them being asked their views on Trump. 2.20 p.m., Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tweets, To those fleeing persecution, terror, and war, Canadians will welcome you, regardless of your faith. Around this time, Trump signs an order removing the Director of National Intelligence from National Security Council and adds Steve Bannon. 5.30 p.m. Crowds grow outside JFK and protests spread nationwide. Dozens of attorneys purchase tickets to gain access to the O'Hare terminal and start working on getting the 18 detainees released. CNN analyst Juliet Kayyem tweets that customs officials are in tears because they can't get guidance from the White House, the DHS isn't returning calls, and crowds are growing. 8.30 p.m. A federal judge blocks Trump's executive order granting a temporary stay to current detainees and demands government agencies provide a list of detainees. Same time, an Airbnb CEO offers free housing to those turned away from the U.S. Other CEOs step up, including Google co-founder Sergey Brin, who shows up to the protests at SFO. Lyft donates $1 million to the ACLU. Cab drivers strike for one hour in New York City, refusing to pick up from JFK in solidarity with the protests. Uber, on the other hand, charges a double surge price for those traveling to and from that airport. 10.15 p.m. An Iranian mother is reunited with her five-year-old child who was detained for hours at Dulles Airport. 11.19 p.m. Rudy Giuliani says on Fox News that Trump called him and said, quote, I want to do a Muslim ban. How do I do it legally? January 29th, 6.01 a.m., CNN reports that Homeland Security concluded the executive order shouldn't apply to green card holders, but was overruled by Bannon. 7 a.m., The Intercept publishes an article claiming that at LAX, Iranian citizen Sarah Yarjani was told by CPB officials that she has to board a flight back to Copenhagen despite the stay. The two congresswomen present asked to meet with the CPB officials, who refused. When asked who they were reporting to, the officials said Donald J. Trump, then hung up on them. 1.30 p.m. MSNBC reports that 109 travelers have been denied entry upon arrival to the U.S. and 173 travelers blocked from boarding flights from the seven countries in the executive order. 
4.30 p.m., we hear reports that passengers in the air are being asked to sign I-407 forms, which would voluntarily surrender their green cards. January 30th, 8.30 a.m., Donald Trump mocks Chuck Schumer's tears over the Muslim ban, calling them fake tears, and saying, I'm going to ask him who his acting coach is. Senator Schumer's great-grandmother and seven of her nine children were killed in the Holocaust. 8.24 p.m., Trump abruptly fires acting U.S. Attorney General Sally Yates after saying she would not defend his immigration ban. This is The Bossy Show. Coming up, we're talking to Viner Walid Mohammed. Also, I'm sick and sound like I'm drowning. Plus, we've got a lawyer who went to LAX during the No Muslim Ban protests. She's going to talk to us about the constitutionality behind the ban, or really, lack thereof. And we've got Mitra Juhari on the line, a comedy writer whose family was personally affected by Trump's executive order. I think later on that night, um, some people started being released because of the lack of transparency. We didn't even know if how many people were still being detained, how many people were being held, how many people were, you know, I heard stories about people saying, oh, you know, your family member's here. And then the family member calls them from an international airport in another country. This is Jean Reese. Jean is one of the many lawyers who bravely dove into the LAX protests to work on getting detainees released. So when I got there in the very beginning, and this was early in the morning on Sunday, there were about, I'd say like 30 plus attorneys, and there were maybe hundreds of protesters. And then at the end of the day, there was hundreds of attorneys and thousands of protesters. At the Tom Bradley Terminal in the upstairs arrivals area, there was a makeshift office with lawyers from ACLU, public counsel, the immigration, you know, my immigration clinic who were there with portable printers laptops, you know, sitting on the ground across from the Customs and Border Patrol office, and they were preparing for litigation. So they were writing declarations, they were writing pleadings that were going to be used to petition for emergency restraining orders. Uh, Another thing that was happening was the position of the protesters that were saying, you know, immigrants are welcome, was right underneath the Border Patrol, the CBP offices. I think the the motive there was that so the people who were being detained in the CVP offices would hear them shouting and protesting and, and shouting, you know, chants of welcoming. And I do have to say, because I, you know, I've been practicing law for a while and I do criminal defense also and I don't, you know, get very emotional at the work I do, but I was really moved by the out, the protesters and the and the chants and just all the people who were there who who were caring about these people who were being detained. It was really moving, I thought. Okay, so what kind of work were you doing on the ground at LAX? We were actually went to Terminal Five to stand outside for international flights that were arriving. Um, and we had lawyer signs, so people who had family members who were affected by the ban or who had, you know, traveler, fellow travelers that were stopped or not let on planes or were detained after they landed um, could, you know, be easily recognize us and we could talk to them and get information and try and help um, figure out what was going on. Did you talk to anyone that day who got released? I did not talk to anyone that day who got released. After I left, I know that there was a man who was released. And he um, 
came out of the baggage area to thousands of people welcoming him. And I know that it was a very emotional scene, I heard. The Customs and Border Patrol, you know, there was no transparency. So you really, we really had a hard time figuring out how many people were being detained, if they were letting anybody um, go. And my understanding was that they were not complying with the order that had come down from the um, Eastern District of the New York Federal Court at that time. Did you talk to any CBP officials? No, they would not talk to us. I don't think, you know, I think with the chaos and everything, nobody really knew what they were doing. They wouldn't talk to us. They were setting up meetings um, with headquarters that were then being canceled. At one point, two CBP officers came out with, you know, huge machine guns and then stood there for five minutes and then walked back away. So you couldn't communicate with anyone, any sort of airport officials there to fight, like to figure out what's going on? So I wasn't able to talk to anybody. And I know that some people got responses like, um, you know, go ask the president, uh, you know, or, you know, we're waiting for orders from headquarters. There was no access being granted to attorneys, to clients. In terms of the work that people in the legal community are talking about, um, like in terms of next steps, what preventive measures can be taken to, you know, put laws and policies in place to protect immigrants and refugees from this kind of ban? The president has very broad authority when it comes to regulating or when it comes to determining what foreign nationals can come into the U.S. Um, But he can't supersede the law or the Constitution. So people who who are, you know, for example, permanent residents, they're protected by the Constitution. And so the executive order cannot ban somebody who has rights to due process and equal protection and things like that. The president can say, okay, we are not accepting um, travelers from Syria. They can say he can he has the power to do that, but he cannot. summarily turn somebody away. So if you are in the United States and you're afraid to return to your country, it's a statutory right and a constitutional due process right to be able to have a hearing to determine whether or not you should be removed from the United States. But, you know, all that stuff can be changed by law. So there can be laws that'll say we aren't going to discriminate against people seeking entry into our country or, admit, you know, the, the That was another thing. The executive order used the word entry, which is nowhere in the Immigration and Nationality Act, um, the words admission. So, you know, there can be laws that say we're not going to discriminate on admission based on religion or based on nationality. But right now, the president can discriminate based on nationality, but those are for non-citizens who are outside of the U.S. And so in in this executive order, it's affecting approved refugees, people who have valid immigrant visas, valid non-immigrant visas, and, um, you know, people who are permanent residents. And so there's a violation of the Constitution there and a statute with just removing people or preventing them from returning. Just one quick last question, easy yes or no question. Is Donald Trump's executive order on immigration and refugees constitutional? As a whole, no. The president has broad powers to restrict uh, the admission of non-U.S. citizens, but the president can't supersede legislation or the Constitution. And the executive order as written does, you know, appear to violate due process rights in the Constitution, as well as um, legislation regarding asylum, uh, you know, protection under the Convention Against Torture and Withholding, as well as, you know, equal protection. 
People have valid visas. People are scared to leave the country because they're worried they're never going to come back. Like, I am worried that I am not going to see people I love again. That's fucked up. That was Mitra Juhari. Mitra is a writer's assistant on Full Frontal with Samantha Bay. She's been pretty vocal on Twitter since the executive order was signed, and she had a pretty intriguing take on the whole situation. So as someone who is um, an Iranian-American with family in Iran, what impact does this ban have on you personally, um, and how have you been coping? At this point, uh, I feel a lot more sane than I felt last week, um, which is crazy. It's like so day-to-day. It, um, the first day, I was like, you know, you can't believe it's happening. Um, it's really, it's, it was more shock and just trying to like understand the situation, rapidly read through you know, the text of the executive order, when's the executive order going to leak? Okay, I drafted the executive order, so, and, like, I am not a scholar in that sense by any means, but I was, like, this kind of thing had happened in 2015. I had gotten really involved, not, like, you know, I'd gotten involved in this fight to stop this visa waiver ban called HR 158 that targeted a lot of the countries that are involved in the Muslim ban now, and I was, like, oh my God, it's like this all over again. I was having PTSD about it. And I was so worried that it was going to be like HR 158 and nobody was going to care. So it's been better than I thought it was going to be because this time people really care. And that is exciting to me. You know, it doesn't make it not happening. It's still really sad. And, you know, I just met my family in Iran for the first time uh, in 2015. And I have spent an entire lifetime dreaming about meeting them. And I finally did. And it was really fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just having family that lived on the other side of the world and wondering what they were like. And, you know, spoiler alert, they were amazing. (laughs) And just Mm -hmm. like finally getting to like fulfill that part of myself. And then realizing that there are people, I I was never so naive to think that everybody liked Middle Eastern people and Muslim people, but coming to terms with the fact that this ban is a thing that, like, can actually happen in the world that I live in, like, coming to terms with the fact that, like, this is, this is the country I live in, not the country I thought I lived in, but this is the country I lived in, is really sad, but this had happened before and people didn't care, and, or, like, people that, you know, I didn't feel people caring the way that I feel people caring now, and that is cool to see people really rise up the occasion something really awful is happening and people are going to the streets and people are calling and people are emailing and people you know it's it's really touching it like it it is like life-affirming to see that how do you think people can directly support uh people in their lives who are either feeling the fallout of this executive order um or just you know support other people who are feeling this well one thing that has been super helpful to me it's just like having friends that have been texting me throughout the whole thing you know people that I don't talk to super often or you know friends who I do talk to super often are reaching out and just saying hey how are you doing like this is so messed up I can't believe you know I'm sad I can't imagine how sad you are and it is so that is super helpful is to have people just say this is bad you are good how can I help I love seeing posts 
of people saying like, here's what I'm doing today. Or like get texts from people that were like, I was calling, I'm calling, I'm calling. I, what else can I do? Like, how can I be here for you in an emotional way, but also in a way that, you know, helps stop this? Like what's the political way that I can help? How do you feel the media is getting it right and how are they getting it wrong covering the ban? In a lot of ways, I have been happy where, you know, people are calling it a ban. People are calling it a Muslim ban. That is heartening for sure. We're not going to get Fox News to say, like, the Muslim ban is bad. Right. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> a lot of people are willing to say, you know, this is bad legislation. This is this this executive order is discrimination. Here are the ways that it's like fucking everything up. And I, the thing I think they can do better is like never paint it as anything other than a ban. It's a Muslim ban. It's obvious it's a Muslim ban. So I think media can be more vicious. You know, what's the point of being polite to Kellyanne Conway? Like she's awful. What's the point of listening to Sean Spicer? He's like a very easily manipulated, like dopey mouthpiece who literally <laughs> swallows gum. Like, <laughs> oh my god, that's so savage. We're stealing that. Yeah, <laughs> Honestly, thank you. Bless. Like, seriously, he's. He's dumb. He's literally, he's dumb. He swallows gum. He's stupid. And he goes on the air and he gets to say whatever he wants. I'm sorry, what? Every single day. (laughs) He swallows gum? How do you know this? Wait, oh my God. So there are like a bunch of articles that were coming out. I mean, I literally, my job is to like read the news every single day. And like, part of that includes like seeing like stuff on Twitter and stuff like that. But apparently, and I refuse to fact check this, check this, and I will believe it until I die, is that Sean Spicer chews and swallows like above 20 i don't i don't remember exactly what the number was but like chews and swallows pieces of orbit cinnamon flavored no what is this fake every news every single day that is no you know what that's definitely the realest yeah. news this is real ass that news. is the real <laughs> whatever the opposite of fake news is i just feel like sorry to like bring us back down but like i understand the like impulse to and i'm you know I am not a journalist, but what I feel very strongly is it's like you can be unbiased and still point out that Kelly and Conway is lying. And some people are doing mm-hmm. that. And I really applaud them for doing that. I think it's really important to do that. But there are so many people who aren't and they let them like they let people like Kelly and Conway, who is much more dangerous than someone like Sean Spicer. I feel like people pity Sean Spicer and just like let him ramble on and on but people are manipulated by Kellyanne Conway because totally. she's a soothing yeah. voice and she like speaks softly and then like spins a, a web of lies around them and then before they know it their five minutes with her is up and it's important for them to say no it's a Muslim ban you can't say anything other than the fact that it is a Muslim ban and if you say if you don't say that we'll spend the whole five minutes trying to get you to say that and you won't get to say anything else you want to say be yeah. vicious like, that's what I want. Be I as want savage as you. Eat. They could really learn a lesson. <laughs> so how do we how do we move forward? I mean, how, how do you, as somebody who has family elsewhere, um, move forward? But also, how do we as a culture? This is truly a marathon. It's not a sprint. I'm trying to remind myself of that because every single day there are like 800 things that upset me and like make me want to cry and make me want to give up and you can't do everything. Like I'm trying to remind myself of that all the time because like the grade grubbing little girl in me is like, fix it all. <laughs> it's like, what am I going to do? So I'm trying to pick things every day that I know I can do. I'm like, you know what I can do? I can take five minutes. I can call somebody. I can 
you know, send an email. I can reach out to somebody. There are definitely things that everybody can do every single day. And just to try to motivate yourself to do something because it's not pointless and remind yourself of that constantly is that like this stuff does matter. The small things matter and reaching out to someone does matter and calling a senator matters and sending an email and like even something as trivial seeming as like making a post matters because there might be somebody who sees it and it's like, oh my God, I never thought about it that way. It does matter. But also being willing to like give yourself a break sometimes. I, you know, you can't stay up all night every single night because like if you're a zombie, then you're not going to be able to fight back in the way that you can. So being okay with taking some time and trusting that there are people who are just as horrified as you are to also fight back. Well, that was so great, Mitra. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Seriously, it was like very um, cathartic. Yeah, it was amazing. Thank you for being the most savage (laughs) guest we've ever had. (laughs) You can follow Mitra on Twitter at Tweetra Juhari, which is very, very creative. That's Tweet R-A-J-O-U-H-A-R-I. We are here with Walid Mohammed. Oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Walid is a viner, amongst many other things. So obviously there's been, you know, a crazy week in news with the Muslim ban and everything. Um, you've been you've been pretty vocal about it on Twitter, at, le- at least retweeting memes and stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I've right. tried to. It's just <laughs> it's just so funny to me that they call it they're calling it a travel ban when it's so obvious that it's a Muslim ban. Right. It's but it's like because like Christians have loopholes and it's just like what I what I want to know is what they're doing in the test when they detain them, like what questions are they asking them to figure out whether they're Muslim or not? What questions would you ask someone if if I was a hmm, if I was testing? I okay, <laughs> this is fucked up. I have a yeah. I would have a piece of bacon. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, yo. Eat this, and then I just figured. And then, I, oh my god! If they, if they, Lock him up! Oh, oh. And then it'll be, it'll, they'll eat it, and I'll be like, "Look, it was turkey bacon, but you passed." Get here. <laughs> okay, we'll never put Walid in the uh, custom borders patrol. Oh yeah, God no, please. I, I would have way too much fun. I feel like that's that's way too much power for anyone to have. But at the same time, like, I get it. I get like why people are scared. Like, it's very scary, but, like, there's other ways to fix that rather than just banning all of them. Yeah. Like, take out guns. Wait, are you, I'm sorry, are you suggesting that we violate the constitutional right to bear arms right now? (laughs) The Constitution fucks me up. (laughs) Fuck me up, (laughs) the Constitution. (laughs) No, but I mean, like, Germany brought in, like, 600,000, like, refugees or, like, like some crazy amount of number, and then we brought, like, 12,000 and like Germany had no problems. Well, then, they've said that there's no, there's literally like no violent crimes tied to any of the refugees that have come here since nine exactly. yeah. eleven. Probably also before that, but I think and they the always nine, cite those numbers. And the nine eleven terrorists were were not from these seven bread. countries. They were, here. and they came through not from Mexico, but from Canada. Also, their borders are wide open, just so everyone knows. <laughs> Canada said everyone's welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Do you work for Canada? Club? I don't. I don't. I actually, I'm. Do I'm they not sponsor a, this? I, <laughs> like, at what point did Germany become America and vice versa? Well, you know, my friend who lives in Germany told me, because unlike in 
the U.S. of A. where like hate speech is t- for some reason protected. Um, <laughs> like in Germany, you're like literally not allowed to be a Nazi, right? Which, considering what's happening to our country, I feel like would be helpful here. Yes. But that being said, a bunch of people on Twitter told me that Nazis don't exist anymore, so I'm not really worried about it. But um, oh, in get- Germany, they hang up the Confederate flag instead of the Nazi flag now to show that they are Nazis. And she lives in like Berlin, and she sees this shit is like people in Germany, that's how they tell people that they are literal Nazis is they hang a Confederate flag from like their window or whatever because it's not illegal but like Nazi at least imagery he's is like illegal. straightforward, right? I guess. Yeah, I mean they're they're putting the dots together a lot faster than we did or are. Yeah, it's so. like when you when you play like a, a sport in high school and you hang the flag out the window. Yeah, so yeah people yeah, yeah. drive by and they're like, "Oh, that guy plays lacrosse. <laughs> that guy's a Nazi." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Back to the serious matter at hand, which is us playing a game with Walid called Republican or actual supervillain. Oh, I was supposed to say it in like a go for it. Like a game voice. Republican or actual supervillain. <laughs> First up, this old white man could have done good with his rise to power in the face of a dissolving nation state, but instead fell to the dark side. Hint, he tries to destroy everything using force. Oh shit. I wanna say Republican. Wow. Wow. Um, good guess. That is a good guess because although that could have been easily Darth Vader. Yeah, right, okay. Right? So since it's, <laughs> that's it. Okay, cool. So the game's working. So even though it could have been Darth Vader, it's actually Steve Bannon, Trump's chief oh, advisor, shit. who in his first interview after Trump was elected told The Hollywood Reporter, and I quote, Darkness is good. Dick Cheney, Darth Vader, Satan. That's power. Oh. He also is on record saying, once again, and I quote, I want to destroy the state. So you can't make this stuff up. Uh, Steve Bannon idolizes Darth Vader, and he's he's doing a pretty good job uh, following his footsteps. I just wonder who his estranged, like, Democratic son is. Wait, so Darth Vader is his role model? Yeah. I hope that, like, Cory Booker is Steve Bannon's, like... Long lost biological member. <laughs> no, it's it's Baron Trump. I feel like <laughs> Baron Trump is gonna blindside yeah. all of us. Whoa! He's be the Luke to our Darth Vader. Oh my god! Oh my I'm god! Shook. Oh, I'm shook in the best way though. <laughs> like on a scale from like shaking because I'm scared and shaking like a leaf. Like I am <laughs> This absolute clown <laughs> is heavily involved in bank robbery. In his most recent role, he took advantage of the internal collapse of a bank, then ran away with the money and used it for political leverage. Clown. We're not joking around here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say supervillain, but... Which supervillain? Okay, it could be, yeah, Joker, of course, right? Right, right. Or the Riddler? Oh. Or those guys on the... Wow, there's a plot twist. Those guys on the infomercials, those money infomercials who wear the green suits. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not that, I'm going to tell you. It's, it's not the... But good... Yeah, let's make a game about them. Mm, unfortunately, Walid, you are uh, not doing too well. Because although that might sound like the Joker, uh, he is definitely a joke. This is <laughs> Steven Mnuchin. Um, in 2009, Mnuchin was an executive at Goldman Sachs, and he benefited from the economic crisis by taking advantage of a failing bank and selling it for a huge profit. And uh, look at him now, our very own Secretary of Treasury. Look at him now. Look at him now. He's a clown. That was the um, whole bit. <laughs> Next up, his alias is 
the slowest man on earth. This man partners with his idol in an attempt to build a vast criminal empire and rule their land. His other alias is the turtle. This one is definitely not at all a joke about anyone's appearance or resemblance to a wild sea animal. <laughs> Super villain? Wow. So you may not know who Turtle Man is, but he exists. I would Wikipedia him, but mostly we just wanted to call Mitch McConnell a turtle. I don't know if anyone has seen it. <laughs> I told y'all I will post a bunch of images on the Bossy Show Tumblr. Yeah. You need to Google Mitch McConnell turtle. What are you seeing? Tell well, us what you're seeing. Here's the thing. You just Google his name, right? There's two. One picture is just him by like this white pillar, and then one's like this nice kind of backdrop. And then the third one is obviously just a turtle. (laughs) So this turtle man dude, his alias is the slowest man on earth. And Mitch McConnell, the current Senate majority leader and third winner in by the popular vote in my Twitter poll, who is the tiniest, most pathetic man of all, (laughs) single handedly stopped a bipartisan effort to inform the American people of Russian interference in our elections because. Before it was too late, so as not to hurt Donald Trump's chances in the election that, spoiler alert, (laughs) Russia interfered in. Also worth noting in terms of slowing things down, Mitch McConnell single-handedly blocked a Supreme Court nominee from being confirmed for 10 months. And now we're going to get a Supreme Court nominee who is quite honestly really good looking, but also (laughs) really just not. He is quite ill-informed about the purpose of the Constitution <laughs> and the direction of our nation. Um, so yeah, thanks, Mitch. Turtle Man. Mitch Turtle Man. Waleed, how are you doing? We're about halfway through the game. No, this is check great. in. This make is, sure. I love this game. You like I'm, this game. I'm learning so much. You don't understand. <laughs> should we sell it as a board game? Like, should it be a... That'd be a great... Especially now. You guys should capitalize right? on this before it's too late. Wow, merch idea. This man is described as a power-mad American billionaire, business magnate, inventor, philanthropist. The penguin? Ooh, close. Very close. Ooh. Well, close to what you might have thought. Yeah, close to. (laughs) They all look like penguins, newsflash. (laughs) But. That's because they have to wear really nice suits. Donald Trump told them so. (laughs) Right. Um, So, right. I mean, in case you didn't um, catch on, it's uh, probably going to be a Republican. Um, You may have thought, Waleed, that this was Lex Luthor or the penguin. Ooh. In which uh, you would be right, but also Sex Sex Tillerson. Tillerson. (laughs) Uh, Rex Tillerson, but Carmen likes calling him Sex Sex Tillerson. Tillerson. He's a former ExxonMobil CEO. He's also a power-mad American billionaire, a business magnate, and a philanthropist. As far as inventor goes, he invented short-term environmental crises and contributed largely to the actual death of planet Earth (laughs) vis-a-vis his climate change denial. Yeah. That's so funny to me. Like, it's so obvious. That climate change is real. Yeah. Well, yeah. the reason it wasn't. Wait, what? Wait, it's real. <laughs> you blew it. Whoa. You didn't know. Oh, oh wow. It's like Santa. I get... Yeah, I was just gonna say this is like telling a kid Santa's. Oh, sorry for our listeners at uh, home. Uh, uh, nothing. Santa is real. Santa climate is change is real. Not. He's watching. Um, he's Russian. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Rex Tillerson oversaw Exxon Mobil when they actually purposely hid research on climate change. Um, so that they would not, you know, be hurt as a business when people realize that they should stop buying it. I mean, we also mentioned this in another episode that he was the CEO during the spill of Valdez, which was one of the most biggest, the biggest 
um, environmental bigly. crises. It was a yeah. It was bigly. Why do you call him sex uh, toys? <laughs> you know, is he I feel. Oh, I gotta look it up. I feel. Ill- I feel ill-equipped to answer that question. That is a matter of personal preference. Beauty is subjective. We are all beautiful. He's old. I don't know. He's like an older white man. Apparently, though, Donald Trump did say he feels he <clears throat> looks like a Secretary of State. Interesting, considering Donald Trump said Hillary Clinton didn't look presidential. I think we all know what's going on here, right. but it's chill. Um, did you find him? I accidentally typed in sex Tillerson. <laughs> <laughs> After scamming everyone and rising to power, this masked mercenary. Do you know what a mercenary is? Yeah, like a like a murderer. No, like, like a mercenary, a like someone who like... fights for another country that is not their own. So this this, <laughs> oh, mas- this masked mercenary declared that he is taking his city back from the corrupt, the oppressors, and the rich to quote give it back to you. The people, end quote. He is known to literally destroy anyone who stands in his way. Republican or supervillain? I want to say I'm confident that it's a supervillain. Wow. So well, I feel like you, you guys are tossy. Like, you a, know, um, is it Joanne the scammer? <laughs> I might have thought this was Bane, but it's actually Donald Trump, uh, Don John Trump, who last week fired the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, and replaced the director of ICE, that's Immigration and Customs Enforcement, in the wake of his controversial executive order, which lots of people who actually know how government and the Constitution work weren't that into. So he also conned an entire nation into believing he would overthrow the corrupt, which he is. The oppressors, also known as himself and the rich, also him and his friends, and give it back to the people. It's but, a toss-up, but we did go with Republican on that one, no matter how close. And he actually did say in, he did say in the speech the same exact line. He said, I'm going to give it back to you, the people. Which concerned people because, you know, he keeps a book of Hitler speeches in his cabinet next to his bed. Wait, and what? He, Whoa. Come on, guys. In sealed, in, like, actual sworn confidential, like put your hand on the Bible, divorce hearings, Ivana Trump mentioned that Donald Trump frequently revisits a book of Hitler speeches um, and keeps it in his bedroom in a cabinet. I am shook. Then he paraphrased slash actually plagiarized Bain in his inauguration speech, which was written by Steve Bannon, who would know a lot about poor use of language, considering he (laughs) runs a dumpster fire website. (laughs) Um, for people who cannot comprehend actual facts. <laughs> Waleed, thank you so much for being here and um, doing this nonsense yeah. with us. It was such a pleasure. Um, you can follow Waleed on Twitter, at uh, Waleed. Yeah. How'd you do that? There's not a lot of Waleeds out there. <laughs> That's all for this episode of The Bossy Show. Make sure to tune in next week. Want to get involved? Here's something you can do right now to make a difference. Give to an organization challenging Trump's ban in court, like the ACLU. You can give to them at aclu.org. You can also give to the International Rescue Committee at help.rescue.org or make a donation to the Council on American-Islamic Relations at cair.com. If you can't afford to donate, follow organizations that have been planning rapid response to deportations, bans, and detentions. Try at MakeTheRoadNY or at NYChange. Follow at The Bossy Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr for pics from inside the show and more. Special thanks to Walid Mohammed, Mitra Juhari, and Jean Reese for being on our show. The Bossy Show is recorded at Sonic Pool Post Productions in Hollywood. Music by Johnny Franco and audio engineering by Drew Frost. See you next time. Chill, they can't see us.